I hope and pray that people can hear the musica. <laughs> I just heard a little bit of it. <laughs> yeah. It's real loud. Yeah. Love that. It's super fun. Anyway, it's very distracting. Uh, I can't <laughs> shut it out. Welcome uh, to the mariachi episode of Tender Subject. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And welcome to Tender Subject, the only <laughs> podcast that wants to feed your demons. Hey. I, yeah. Hey, um, <laughs> I'm Jay. I'm a music librarian in Boston. Uh, I use he, him pronouns. I'm Kate. I'm a visual artist in South Philly, and I use she, her, or they, them pronouns. And I feel like I'm punchy. I'm punchy tonight. You're punchy? Like, a punchy. As in, like your sound, or you just... No, no, I'm just like a little goofy. Tonight. Oh, okay. That's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. That That's cool, because then I'm going to be like... I'm I'm like gonna be in the zone, auto zone. Yeah, so you'll Jay's have to, in the zone. You'll have to be silly for the both of us. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, this is a little silly, but you know. I have no knowledge, so I'm just I'm vibing. I'm listening to the to the gas station mariachi band over on your end. <laughs> Car yeah. wash. Car wash. Well, it's out. both. It's the oh, it's the it's combination. The, it's called the Emporium, and it's like a car wash, and where you like it says lube on the sign, right? Ooh, it's where you, where you your, buy your lube. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, it's an all-in-one place. Um, oh, yeah. So it's the Lube Emporium, I think I've mentioned in other episodes, where I like um, buy potato chips on my way home from work. It's <laughs> called the Lube Emporium? It's just called Emporium, but it's like, you know how like sometimes like car mechanic places, it'll be like Lube Shop or something? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's like where you get like your oil change and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it says like Lube on the side, so I jokingly that's call awesome. it Lube Emporium. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it should be called. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so it's just us this week. Uh, yeah. No guest. And we're finally doing the podcast tried and true tradition of one get of one host <laughs> uh, explaining something at the other host who just makes comments about it. Yeah. I'm and it's really even funnier because I'm a dude and Kate is not a dude. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be mansplaining yeah. Buddhism at you, even I'm though you don't so... know anything about Buddhism. So it's not actually mansplaining. At no, you. it's not. It would be if I was, if I was secretly a Buddhism expert. Yeah. Um, and I had never told you, well, no, I guess I would have had to have told you for you to then mansplain to me, but I, yeah don't know anything about buddhism yeah it's a huge chasm in my knowledge and uh i'm i'm super excited to hang out and hear about it from you yeah um so yeah so this week we are talking about sort of like we did cannibalism in early christianity with justin and so this is going to be kind of cannibalism in buddhism which i know i'm gonna put that in the title and people are gonna be like what um (laughs) buddhism's the peaceful one right and i'm specifically mainly going to be talking about um one specific uh practice um within uh vajrayana buddhism but it'll sort of open us up to talking largely more about like the role of the body in in buddhism and like 
what it means to offer that body to others uh, in any kind of way, especially in a like offering feast, because uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, there, I'm sure there are plenty of other examples of like cannibalistic metaf- metaphors or practices or whatever in other traditions of Buddhism. But um, I guess that's sort of like I am I I practice uh, Vajrayana Buddhism um, in um, in the Nyingma uh, lineage. Um, and I took a Buddhist philosophy course in college, which is actually how we like learned about a lot of Buddhist stuff. It was like before I was Buddhist. And that was primarily focusing on like the Indo-Tibetan tradition of Buddhism. So I know dick about Chinese or Japanese or Korean Buddhism or any of the more like Southeast Asian uh, like offshoots of Buddhism. Mm-hmm. I really don't know a lot about those. Um, so caveat there. Uh, I'm sure there's okay. something... Yeah, I'm sure there's yeah. something spooky and cool happening in Japan. Like, there's oh, got to be. Yeah, um, like amazing ghosts or something. But oh yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's I ghosts think, in all of it. So yeah, cool. I think it's okay. Yeah, and the, like that's a good caveat. Like you're, um, you know about the practice that you do, and you're not like an expert in all forms of Buddhism. Right. Like I, um, I also like standard disclaimer. Um, I am not ordained to uh, teach. Uh, in my lineage or in any others, uh, I have received the the transmission to practice um, the the chi, which is what I'll be talking about. Like from my lama, um, I have like I have basically have permission to practice it. Um, but me talking about it, I am not teaching y'all who are listening. I'm not teaching Kate. Like this is I am not a teacher. I'm not a lama. I am not ordained in any way. Um, so that's another caveat um mm-hmm. because with vajrayana buddhism it's largely like you need someone to teach you the practices to be sort of connected to the lineage because i mean as we're going to talk about like there's a lot of like spooky mind shit happening in this practice and like if you just like go into it and don't have the sort of context around it and like a teacher who maybe knows when you might be ready or might not be ready to handle that like oh maybe your mental health isn't where it needs to be to practice this. Maybe you shouldn't learn this right now, right? Or you don't have enough of the background knowledge to like learn this. So mm-hmm. like learning this, like just going out and like reading about it and like doing it yourself is I wouldn't advise that. Um, if you are someone who like quote believes in in in, in any of this, right? Um, but that's another just disclaimer is that I'm not teaching anybody anything and I'm not a, a, a llama or, or ordained at all. Um so with that out of the way, <laughs> what do you know about Buddhism, Kate, at, at all? Um, like so little, so truly, little, truly so little. Um, I mean, I know I I I can tell you about like you know, uh, various silly teenage uh ideas that I uh had probably you know that. Buddhism is the peaceful religion, the vegetarian religion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, that like when you're a teenager and you're uh, like trying to come into your own, you dabble in all sorts of like little tiny bits of um, like, quote unquote, huge scare quotes, exotic religions. Oh, that's Um, something we'll talk about with related to this practice. Yeah, as a white, (laughs) a white woman. Um, and you know, you, you do a little yoga, you 
get into some, I don't know, you buy some little tchotchkes, things like that. Like, yeah. I feel that I have no, um, no knowledge <laughs> that is worthwhile at all. <laughs> <laughs> You are a, a you are you are like the fresh snow on a mountain. Yes, right? yes, yes. So, Imprint upon me. Yes. So <laughs> Buddhism um, comes about in India um, around I think it's the fifth or third century, like BCE. Okay. So it's like a it's a BC religion, but not by much, right? It, it only predates Christianity by a couple of centuries. Um, and it's largely in response, like if we're going to talk about this culturally, to Hinduism. So like Hinduism, you know, at least culturally, there was like a caste system at this time, right? And Hinduism also has beliefs about like the the atman the the self capital s right like when you meditate and do yoga and shit in hinduism you're trying to like obtain this like perfect capital s self your atman mm. um so it's like and, the, enli the enlightened myth. yeah the like that's the enlightenment in religion. hinduism yeah yeah and uh siddhartha uh the buddha um was like a prince He's like, he's like, so the Buddha was like Kropotkin in that, like, he was like an aristocrat. He was like a prince. Right, uh, he right, was, right. He was like very largely sheltered and was kept away from seeing any death or disease or people who were old or disability or anything like that. Like, he was so sheltered to not see anything bad at all mm, wow. until he finally wandered outside of his little estate and he saw people who were elderly and he saw people with disabilities and he saw people of lower castes and like all of this stuff. And he was like, whoa, this sucks. Um, I don't like this at all. And he <laughs> renounced being a prince. Like I said, he's like Kropotkin. Um, right. He's like, I don't want to be a part of anything where like I was here sitting pretty while all this shit was happening. Uh-uh, that doesn't fly. And so he like goes on this like little like you know, he tries to like starve himself, basically like become like an aesthetic, like which is common in some branches of like Hinduism. And that didn't give him enlightenment. Um, so it was like having everything doesn't give you enlightenment. Having nothing doesn't give you enlightenment. And so it's when he's sitting under the Bodhi tree and you, oh, we get to the middle way. And that's what Buddhism is. It's the middle way between these two excesses. Okay. And that's how you get to enlightenment. It's not about having nothing and it's not about having everything. And that's like the basis. And there's like four noble truths of Buddhism that are, there is the truth of that there is suffering, capital S. Suffering is basically the cycle of karmic rebirth and attachment. So in Hinduism, this would be reincarnation. In Buddhism, it is uh, rebirth because you're not being reincarnated because there is no self in Buddhism. There's the unatman in Buddhism, right? There is, so there's the truth of suffering. There is the truth of um, the cause of suffering, which again is like karma, basically. There is um, the truth that you can escape suffering right and the truth of how you do this the path mm, okay that's all buddhism is hmm. and it was culturally meant to be 
that simple. There's like the four noble truths and then like the noble eightfold path, which is basically Buddhism's 10 commandments. Right. Um, And that's as simple as it was. And that's why Buddhism is so syncretic and spreads because Mm, as long as you've got that, that, that little bit, you can kind of put your own culture and your own established religious traditions in with it. And that's why it looks so different in Japan. It looks so different in China. It looks so different in Tibet and the Himalayan regions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And that's like the basis of Buddhism. It was a reaction to to Hinduism, especially the caste system at the time. Um, And it was like, we don't want that. We want something. We want this middle way. And then here's how you get enlightenment, actually. Um, And here's how you do it. Look, I did it. I'm just a guy. I am not a, <laughs> like I'm not a god. I'm not anything. I'm just a guy. I'm just a dude. I did it. Yeah. Here's yeah. how you can do it too. All right. Come do this with me. So like that's that's all Buddhism is. Okay. And the self no self thing um in Buddhism and this is where we start getting into what's going to take us into the the practice that I talk about. Um, By the way, Jay has props. I have props. Um, you won't be able to see them, but maybe I'll take pictures and we can post them. And yeah, you can, yeah, I will. Yeah. I will play them too. Ooh. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, well, I'm the flute doesn't really make noise, but we'll get into that. Um, uh, so in, like I said, in Hinduism, there's the it's Atman like self. Glass. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. And in uh, um, Buddhism, there's the anatman, the no self. So there's this concept in Buddhism called emptiness. Early Buddhism was very focused on what, how do we know what things are? What makes a thing a thing? What is the true essence of anything? Right? Like it was very like logic. Let's figure shit out. Ontology, whatever. Yeah. And, And they were like, well... They're, they were basically doing atomic theory. Like there's no inherent thing that you can point to that like, what's a table? How much do you have to tear a table apart to get to what the root essence of a table is? It's right. kind of like the ship of the- Theseus kind yeah, of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and that's what emptiness is. It just means that there is emptiness of all like inherent ex- um, existence. That doesn't mean that things don't exist. Like, all of these component parts come together and make a thing. But there's, once you tear it all apart, there's nothing that was inherently that one thing. And then they, evict- so it's and like that's the like- porousness of things, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe? It's very, yeah. It's, um, so there's a lot about, um, a lot of Buddhist thought that's overlaps a lot with, um, Derrida's concept of difference. Where things mm. differ and they defer meaning, yeah, right. Like things are defined by what they aren't, and so you can never actually get to the actual root meaning of something because it's always deferring its its meaning. Okay. Um, and there's probably something Deleuzian in there as well, like body without organs or something. I think, yeah, I don't know. like that's. But what I, I haven't read enough Deleuze. So. Like the porousness of like, <laughs> um, you know, when uh, uh, what is it like desiring machines when you um when your mouth touches a straw like where yeah there you go Uh what part of the straw is you and what part of you is the straw yeah 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 and it's like early buddhism was like well things are like this but um like there might be like 
but people, maybe they're still in Atman. That's like Hinayana. Okay. And then you get to Mahayana. It's like this, um, it's like being a centrist. <laughs> yeah. Hinayana is like early Buddhism. They, they're like, okay, most shit doesn't exist, but the Atman, that's still, we still think that's Yeah, cool. Yeah, we can't get rid of that. And eventually we get to Mahayana, which means like greater vehicle. Yana means vehicle. Okay. Um, and they were like, wait a minute. What if this emptiness thing, what if we applied it to people too? Holy shit. What if <laughs> there is no self? Like, what, what if you take me apart? What made me me? Where can you, where in me can you point? And that's me. You can't. So there is no like um, inherent like existence or self, um, which then you get really complicated with what actually is happening with rebirth. And uh, I'm not smart enough to try to explain <laughs> that. Like I kind of get it. It's something called the mind stream, but it's like karma. It's like weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so then you get like Mahayana uh, where you're like, okay, there's no self actually, actually there's no self. And part of like what keeps us in this like cycle of rebirth and karmic suffering is ego attachment the attachment to the idea of a self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And if we can just let go of that, that's like, then you're halfway there. Right. Like there's, it's more complicated than that, but it's like, if you can like let go, if you can let go of your ego, if you can kind of have ego death. Yeah. Um, then, or at least like let go of the concept that it's like, okay, I have consciousness and I'm hanging out. But if I like let go of this idea that there's any inherently existing me, and I'm not attached to that. And like this kind of, I feel like gets into a little bit of like the abject stuff um, that like Kristeva, like that you're always mm -hmm. like bringing up with like when you see a dead body and you're like, wait a minute, a person used to be in there, but yeah, were they? Yeah. What? It's also like very what David changed? Lynch, yeah. uh, Twin Peaks uh, season three. <laughs> <laughs> uh tulpas come from uh tibet yeah and yeah. are a buddhist concept they're not nice. a spooky monster it's just means the um uh emanation of a figure the dalai lama is a is a tulpa yeah, <laughs> <Fun fact. laughs> yeah okay. the dalai lama is a tulpa um yeah because it's not like a oh i thought about a spooky mind demon and willed it into existence it just means like the emanation of a right a being um and the dalai lama is the emanation of of loki tashvara um so um but yeah it's very like but yes twin peak season three like it's <laughs> you know you look at a body and you're like whoa a person used to be in there well what's gonna happen when i die what's gonna happen with my body right what, was that a me anymore like is that body still me or not yeah is it like, just meat or is it is yeah. it just meat right yes. so that is the concept of emptiness and how it applies to the body, which is, and like ego attachment, which is really important to the practice. Then obviously that would lead Buddhists. <coughs> sorry, I just like coughed <laughs> um, okay. to start thinking about like Buddhists get really spooky. Even <laughs> before we get into the spooky bullshit, I'm going to be talking about spooky like ego shit. Oh yeah, no, we're gonna get fucking spooky. Um, uh, there's like common meditations and visualizations that you do um, in Buddhism, where it's like you meditate on like your body as a like decomposing, 
um, like you meditate on death a lot in Buddhism. Like what, what happens when your body decomposes? Meditate on that. Think, think through it. Mm. What, what's going to okay. happen, my dude? Yeah. Like Buddhists meditate on death a lot because it's like break this ego attachment. Go through visualizing your body dying. What is that like? Be separated from it. You know, that's a detach your ego basically. Um, so like that's like Buddhists have a really, I would say like complicated relationship with with death sin because it's like obviously we like oh, a huge thing is like you know compassion you don't cause harm to sentient beings like you don't kill things you know that's why a lot of buddhists are vegetarian um, right 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 like you don't cause harm to anything but then also it, is death that bad kind of right like right. death is just a part of you if you're not attached if your ego isn't attached to it like it's really complicated right I could imagine that is sort of the difference between choosing your own death or harm versus like choosing versus like deciding for something else. Right. Maybe. Yeah. And, and also it's like, you want like in, you never know where you're gonna <laughs> be reborn. The music keeps getting louder. It's I know so it funny. does. It's so funny. I, love I like it. it. I don't mind it, but I'm sorry it's probably very <laughs> so distracting. Loud. It's so loud, Kate. Oh it's my so god. Loud. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I was I was thinking like that the difference in, in those two things are like, you know, choosing the death of a of of the cell versus choosing the death of the other yes yeah but like also like suicide isn't looked well upon either okay like it's so with with re with rebirth um like karma think of karma not as what goes around comes around like we're often in yeah. culture but karma is more like muscle memory karma is attachment if you are if you do like if you are kind of a, it's like a wheel in a rut kind of if you are attached to being reborn if you've got this muscle memory of being reborn then you're mm. going to be keep being reborn and depending on the karma that you sort of accumulate through the eons of your mind stream that affects which realm you get reborn into and there are six realms in buddhism mm. and here's another concept that we come uh, that we come now to that well is important is um is this do we actually believe this or is this just like a mental exercise do the six realms refer to right. actual realms i was of existence? actually just gonna ask you is this metaphorical or is it or real? is it metaphorical and yeah. you will get differing answers depending on the lineage depending on the llama depending on the individual practitioner okay i and the way that my llama tends to view teach this and what makes most sense to me is that does that difference matter if it gets you to the same place and um where i can have this like conflicting idea of like this is all just mental metaphor men mental states and this is quote real um because like once you get into vajrayana which is um what a lot of people in the west call quote tibetan buddhism and i'm putting big air quotes around that um but vajrayana <laughs> uh focuses a lot on the idea of transformation if things are empty of inherent existence then you can use 
dreaming and the idea of visualization and like semiotics and metaphor to like as part of practice because it's like what's the difference between me thinking like visualizing this as a metaphor and this really existing if things are empty of intrinsic existence mm. and if it gets me to the same place you know if it, if it helps me reach enlightenment does it matter if there's a difference between those things um and this, so like that's that's important in vajrayana that 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 little tension there <laughs> okay yeah, yeah um i i'm going to bring up david lynch again i'm i'm on a lynch kick um uh, because i just talked about wild at heart on another on another podcast i'm here for it and i mean he does is, transcendental meditation yeah, so like it's yeah. close um yeah. which is like one of my favorite movies and i know yours too but um yeah. there's a really great book called the passion of david lynch by martha nachmanson and um she talks about like the end of wild at heart where he sees glinda the good witch is this moment of him recognizing the you know fan lula's fantasy world coming into the plane his real plane quote unquote mm -hmm. real life plane and like that's the moment where he realizes that letting go and like believing in love is the best choice for him and that like sort of the um the rational like i'm not good for you i have you know like you go be on your own lula is not the right thing to do um yeah and that just reminded me of that so much no like that's a good like that's a like, good way to think about it actually is this sort of like letting go of trying to figure it out mm -hmm. kind of thing like not that you shouldn't be curious like yeah, buddhism yeah. is actually not a faith like it's not a blind faith it's not a faith-based religion and it's very like logic based like if you're supposed to think through things and if something doesn't fit then you can chuck that out like not that the dalai lama is the pope of buddhism or anything but he has said multiple times that like if it's demonstrably proven that rebirth does not exist then we just need to rethink buddhism because it's like if that doesn't exist then like what do we do um like we are allowed to like change our beliefs and stuff if you know we get new information so like but also it's like that's why you don't like hear about people like thinking about like their like in buddhism like their previous rebirths because like that isn't really going to help me towards enlightenment right. right so it's like it's helpful to kind of let go sometimes of things especially if trying to like figure something out and kind of overpower it prove that you're right over it or something like how much is that like worth it um like the, the, we also there can be this tendency by western practitioners because it's not like a an ethnic based religion um mm -hmm. anyone can practice it right uh, including the more um culturally in uh influenced uh shamanic tradition that i'll be talking about um it's still not like an ethnically locked religion um, okay. or practice. Um, but like, I'm aware of that. And like Westerners who pr practice this will often try to like, oh, this thing that Buddhism's talking about actually is referring to this <laughs> thing in like Western science or something. And my Lama who um, is uh, Native American is like, that's an act of colonization. Like not yeah. that, like Western science isn't quote real 
or bad and that it's bad or anything and not that we shouldn't try to like be curious and figure things out but like the sort of like mapping of like oh this is now okay and we can accept it and practice it because we've been able to map our own western views and figure it out yeah 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 self is an act of of colonialism basically um so like i try to be real careful about that <laughs> no i think that's important to like be aware of even though you're right like it isn't a like it isn't a religion based on nationality yeah um but still there yeah. is like conflict and just like squickiness sometimes with like western practitioners of like eastern faiths or beliefs or right or like like the practices that come from specific cultural traditions yeah 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 um so yeah but anyway that is all to say there are six realms (laughs) um none of them are permanent uh and like you never know which one you're going to be born into, but you will never stay in it forever. Even mm. the even the quote best one, right? So there's the the quote bad translation hell realm. Basically, that's the one that sucks to be in the most and is the hardest to attain enlightenment in. Mm, okay, just because it's if, if it's it sucks so much, you can't really focus on getting enlightened, but you can do it. It just sucks and it's yeah. hard. Then there's the um, uh, the uh, animal realm. Oh, there's five. Wait, is there six? There's five. Oh, no. Okay. Then there's the hungry ghosts. So this is where the ghosts come in. Ooh, there's shit, the hungry, hungry. ghosts. <laughs> yeah, these are hungry ghosts are also show up a lot in like Japanese folklore. Um, mm-hmm. Like they like really latched onto them. Uh, hungry ghosts are beings that um, have really like big distended stomachs, but really thin necks. And they're always hungry, but they can't ever be satiated. Oh. And they often walk around and they eat like excrement and waste and rotted food and and stuff like that. Like that's all they can eat or something. So that also sucks. But again, you're not permanently there. But are you, are you, if you are on that realm, you are the hungry ghost. Okay. You are the hungry ghost. You're not like running around with some hungry ghosts. You, you are the hungry ghost. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, Then there's the uh, animal realm where mm-hmm. you are you know that's if i was a worm would you still love me right yep. yeah <laughs> it is somewhere in oh, your man. There must eons have been... of rebirth you have been a worm i, I bet there was some real fun buddhist memes about the worm <laughs> girlfriend <laughs> oh god i'm sure um um then there's the human realm and uh, the human realm is actually the best one to be in um you would think not but bet. yeah <laughs> yeah bet. but then there's above us there's the i forget what it is in sanskrit but um in english it's often called like the titan or the god okay or like it's like the titan realm like where it's not quite the best one but it's like it it's not quite quote heaven but it's not here um and it's like, like sitting on a cloud <laughs> <laughs> and you're like really jealous there because it's oh. like you're not quite where you need to be. Okay. I like um, that they took that one and reversed it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You're not quite where you need to be. And then there's like the God, like the heaven realm, like the God realm. Right. Um, 
And like, you know, sometimes people like, oh, get reborn into like the pure land and like just hang out on a lotus flower Mm -hmm. and get enlightened there. But it's like, it's just too easy there. Right. And like, if you've got everything and things are so great, then like, how can you attain enlightenment? Like it's, it can be hard to attain enlightenment, enlightenment there too. And you don't stay there forever and you can only go down from there. Um, yeah, true. Yeah. So it's like like, the platform. Yeah. It's the platform. (laughs) Buddhism is the platform. Yeah. Buddhism Um, is the platform. We should talk about that movie on our, on our podcast, by the way, on our cannibal podcast. (laughs) We should. Uh, I still haven't seen it, but I've listened to the horror Vanguard episodes. Shouts out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, um, so like when you get reborn, you don't know like which realm you're going to be reborn into. Um, and so it's like, and also in like Vajrayana, you go through like the Bardo, uh, the post-death Bardo. Like that's the Tibetan book of the dead that people are always talking about. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Um, uh, and like, it can be kind of spooky in the Bardo. Um, and so it's like, if you kill something, like you've like, kicked it out of its current realm and it could end up in the hell realm who knows like it, and it might be forever until like what if it was going to attain enlightenment like tomorrow you know you know oh, yeah that's fucked up yeah um you know the cycle of rebirth sucks um and it doesn't it's not a cycle of punishment it's not you did a bad thing you get yeeted down to the hell realm um <laughs> it's just like the accumulation of your karma through millennia so like even things from your previous rebirths like might be affecting where you go next um okay like so, what, when it comes to fruition yeah. so i feel like a lot of criticism about karma is like that you know sort of like um conflict between like free will and things that are like out of your control right you know that like I feel like people use this as like a crutch, you know, where they're like, well, you don't really have to do anything. Um, yes. Yeah. Which is similar to like no ethical consumption under capitalism. <laughs> yes. And I would say that um, often sometimes you'll see Buddhists, no matter where they're from. And this is not just a problem with of Western Buddhists, but they will use uh, karma and the cycle of rebirth and quote favorable rebirths as a reason to not do anything about like social justice Mm, mm -hmm. sometimes even using the logic of like favorable rebirths and the cycle of karma to kind of be like well i already did it yeah that's the that's their karma oh yeah see that is in a war-torn country or whatever like that is ghastly yeah i think that's bad yeah it's real bad and um, I don't like it when I see Buddhists doing that, but that is like a a common mindset. I would say there are um, some Buddhists in various traditions who um, uh, are like the kind of like liberation theology kind of Buddhists, where they're cool. like, no, just because like that doesn't mean that we don't help people, and that doesn't mean that people deserve what's happening to them, right? Like. You know, karma, it doesn't have a will of its... Yeah, exactly. Like, in if it's over millennia, in your very short lifetime, you have no knowledge of... I mean, not really, I guess, of, like, all of the different um, things you've done over millennia. Yeah, exactly. And so it's, like, 
um i don't think that's an excuse to yeah. just like not care about liberation and revolution and shit yeah um yeah like there's actually like a strain of like buddhist anarchism actually oh, um which sometimes can be a little contradictory especially when you get into vajrayana when there is hierarchy um uh, but it's more about like lineage and teaching um and like authority uh so i would say it's a quote justified i'm putting a bunch of oh why is it Whoa. doing balloons at me <laughs> i'm doing like air quotes and balloons oh happen God. jay just did air quote for people who uh, cannot see the video jay just did air quotes and all these <laughs> balloons came up on the screen i'm gonna do it again is it gonna do it scare you try balloons it, what am i supposed do to do i was like doing like air quotes but just with one hand I don't know. I love There's the ghosts. idea that just doing air quotes on a video prompts balloons. There must yeah. be some other reason why that happened. <laughs> Jazz hand balloons. Rich man's frug. Yeah. Like. <laughs> um, but yeah. So yeah, all of that now I think gives us some context to talk about the specifically like in quote tibetan buddhism so vajrayana uh buddhism uh and how we start getting into the more like quote cannibalistic practices okay so i said that like early buddhism is very much a reaction to hinduism and i would say so we start getting like vajrayana and quote tibetan buddhism and stuff in the like is it like the fifth century like a like uh, like in current times okay not a we don't say ad anymore but was it ce and not yeah I think, I think yeah so. uh, but just like the the, the fifth century and not the negative fifth century right um, <laughs> um and like this practice i think is like in the 11th century uh so this is actually like a medieval practice okay if we want to use like that language um is when we start getting more like in the himalayas and tibet and we start getting practices there that you see called like well and also in india but like you see things called like tantras and so you might hear like tantric practices or tantric buddhism kate when i say the word tantric or tantra <laughs> what do you think of sting <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you said Todrick, I just started thinking about Sting and his wife. Just yeah, doing like weird tantric sex, having right? sex for twenty four hours. But you know what? Good for them. Yeah, really. I, I, uh, zero, zero judgment whatsoever yeah. on that one so in the west um we tend to associate <laughs> tantra with specifically like sexual practices but also kind of like esoteric right practices yeah. right that involve like the body and weird spooky shit right that's a colonial invention uh tantra sting. okay means, i like, give a little bit of judgment <laughs> towards sting <laughs> Let's well, like most people else. in the West, like, don't know that, right? No, I know. Um, I know. And there are sexual tantric practices. Yeah, like, yeah. That is a thing. Yes. Um, um, it means literally in, uh, I think, Sanskrit, it, like, its etymology is like, it means, like, weaving 
Okay. And like sutra means like sewing together. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I know sutra from like various like, like fiber the Kama sutra. art. Well, also fiber art practices. Oh, okay. A lot of people like do work involving like sutras, both like yeah. uh, real and metaphorical, but like also Kama sutra because every, you know, perv, pervy teenager is like, I got to get my hands on that book and then i bought it and i was like huh this is a big book and there's just a few illustrations what's going on well because they tell you like everyone tells you that that book is like some sort of joy of sex kind of like uh handbook it is it is not it is not no it's just it's a religious text it's literally what it is yeah uh, and just like how you have sex is part of that, yeah. Like because it's like how you live your life, right? Um, which like good on Hinduism for yeah, like, thinking of that. absolutely. Like, I like that. Yeah. Um. So like tantra is similar to sutra, and like often it just means like a text or a methodology or a theory or a system or something like that. But like the tantric practices, as we sort of think of them, especially in Buddhism, um, often involve like there'll be like the outer experience of something the inner experience of something and then the secret third thing like buddhism has a secret third thing in most of its practices (laughs) and it's the tantric thing uh so it's like the outer experience then there's like outer yoga there's inner yoga um and then there's like tantric and you're like whoa yoga right secret yoga and tantric practices also tend to um involve transgression Mm, in them okay as a way of demonstrating emptiness so there is a thing in vajrayana called the gana um the gana chakra Mm -hmm. which is a type of like offering feast um so it's like you if you go to like a if you go to like a vajrayana service Mm -hmm. most of the time there will be a portion of it where they come out and they give you a piece of like jerky probably they'll probably get some beef jerky and they'll give it to you as well as a little bit of vodka uh like a small little bit okay um and that is like what you get at that offering feast and everybody has some uh you get meat and you get alcohol um, now my llama is vegan and does not drink alcohol okay. and has said that like, if you don't want to eat meat nor, or can't nor drink alcohol nor, or can't, it is fine for you to use other things because again, things are empty, right? We don't want to like, right. The point There's is a symbols. In, right. Cause in like Hinduism, like often like you, like there's like a, a taboo on eating meat. Right. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a taboo on drinking alcohol. There's taboo sometimes religiously of like dancing or singing or sexual practices or like a lot of these things. And then tantric Buddhism and sometimes like I think like tantric Hinduism, but I don't know so much about that, really latches on to like, well, what if at our offering feasts we ate meat? And what if we drank alcohol? And what if we sang? And what if we danced? And what if some of us were ordained but didn't live in monasteries and had jobs and were married and had sex Mm. and, you know, all of that? Because these things are not inherently good or bad. They are empty. So why are we treating them as if they're bad? And so what if we use that sort of mental exercise to... Like as 
like to demonstrate this and also in tibet and the himalayas it's like um hard to grow vegetables right because yeah. uh permafrost so you eat a lot of meat uh, yeah there. yeah it is <laughs> so difficult there's, there's i would imagine it would be difficult to be a vegetarian in the himalayas yeah but um but yeah so this like idea of using transgression as part of tantric practice um one to like sort of train your own it's kind of like a i guess like a kind of like consciousness raising right like you Mm -hmm. you if you start acting and living and acclimating yourself in a certain way then it starts like changing how you see things right and in like meditative practices um or like other practices it's like you are practicing it's like you like literally in the uh practice i'll I'm going to talk about, I'll get to eventually <laughs> you put a bound, you, you like mentally, sometimes even literally you put a boundary around yourself in which to do it. Okay. And it's sort of like a way of practicing states of being and thinking in a safe way so that when you are out in the world, you have kind of started training your mind to see or react to those stimuli or those things in a certain way. And like you're, you'll be more prepared for it, but you have a safe place to practice that. That's what meditation is often in Buddhism is you aren't, you don't close your eyes. Your eyes are open when you meditate um, because you're not closing the world off. You are practicing, not attaching to things while shit's happening. Yeah. Um, I close my eyes because. Yeah. I mean, like a a lot of other meditative, well, in a lot of other meditative practices, you do close your eyes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so it's like specifically like Buddhist meditation. Do you keep your eyes open? Okay, and it's for that reason. I right? understand that. I think that makes yeah. sense. I think it's like um, I feel like we are so busy and overstimulated in our like culture and society that mm-hmm. closing our eyes is like probably pretty helpful uh, yes. for meditating because it's so hard. To even get to the point where you're like thinking about your breath, like even just that takes so yeah. long. Yeah. Yeah. So like the eye closing is the safe space. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah. And it's like, hey, if that's what helps get you there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, again, shit's empty. You know, do what works. I agree with um, that too. Yeah. Like when people yeah. are like, oh, you shouldn't lie down or whatever. And it's like. Yeah, I mean, don't fall asleep while you're medi- meditating. But there also, is dream But also yoga, do though, so. if you'd like to. Yeah, you know what? Like, if that's what you need. <laughs> there's literally like Buddhist practices for like when you're asleep. Yeah. Um, I've like read a book on it. It's like, I wish I could do that. That'd be that's cool. That's pretty, yeah, pretty rad. It's like, real cool. Um, but yeah, so also in Tibet, as I'm sure a lot of people probably have heard, there is something called sky burials. Yes. Because you can't really bury people in Tibet. And so what you do in that region is instead there are these places called charnel grounds uh, where you get this like one person whose job it is to cut the body up, uh, cut the bones open to get the marrow out and all that to prepare the body for vultures to come and eat the body. Um, and that is what a sky burial is um you will also see cremation um especially where sky burial is not permitted um but those charnel grounds where there's like bones and shit like yeah that is where cannibalism comes in 
Cool. Um, Yay. Also, yay. Not, I'm not going on this tangent, even though I'm dying to. But if you are interested in um, Zoroastrianism and sky burials and vultures, there's a really interesting Radio Lab episode about um, what happened when a bunch of vultures died in India and um, how much that affected sky burials. Uh, yep. But I'm not going on that tangent. Anyway. It's a cool tangent, though. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, oh, my God. So a lo- most people don't go to the Charnel Grounds, right? They're spooky. You know, yeah, that's I where the people are getting yeah. cut up, yeah. right? Uh, you don't like to go there. And also with the more like indigenous traditions and beliefs in Tibet in particular and the Himalayas in general, like there's like demons and shit. Um, like there might be like demons of a particular area, um your demons might be mental they might be literal who knows but like charnel grounds are spooky in comes the practice of the ch uh you might also hear it pronounced chid uh and yes this is where stephen king gets that ritual in it from the mm. chid ritual at least that's the that's the theory because it's spelled almost the same way and it's a weird spooky ritual right um Chud in Tibetan means like to sever or to cut. Okay. And what the practice is, is the uh, the practitioner, uh, sometimes called the chidpa, um, they, they like start how you do with any Buddhist practice. You, you do rep, you know, you do refuge. I take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, you know, you do that every single time and everything always you, comes in threes yep you generate bodhicitta which is like bodhicitta is like compassion that's like i want to help everybody and everything you got to generate all your compassion whoa whoa and then you start um you start being like hey dakas dakinis protectors can y'all Put a boundary around me. And if you're outside doing this in a charnel ground, because people will practice this in a charnel ground, it is encouraged to do so at a certain point or in a spooky forest or on a mountain or places that scare you. Okay. <laughs> you're, supposed to, this, you're supposed to do this practice where you are scared <laughs> um, <laughs> at, at a certain point, not when you're first learning it, obviously. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Um, you um, sometimes will get your own little and kind of like, all right. I have metaphorically nailed down, staked down some demons who can't get me. And there's a boundary around me now. I am protected in doing this now. Cool. Let's go. And in tantric practices, in meditation, a common element is visualization, where you visualize a specific deity right mm-hmm. and often then a tr- what's called a transference of consciousness happens where you become that deity oh. and like how does your worldview change when you are the buddha of compassion oh maybe you start being more compassionate wow what a fucking concept right <laughs> like that's why you do it right. uh, you also do the transference of consciousness at the moment of death and so you practice it all throughout your life so at the moment of death you can do it um and so you do that and you imagine that you become Tromanogmo in or in some lineages, like this practice has 
a bunch of different ways to do it. Sometimes you imagine you are Magic Lubtrun, who is a real person who is kind of the reason we have this practice in the way that we practice it today in the 11th century. Um, and you imagine basically that you transfer your consciousness to a deity who is not you. Okay. <laughs> you become that person. Troma Nagmo is the wrathful version of Vajra Yogini. Um, who's big and naked and red and cool. And Troma Nagmo is uh, <laughs> otherwise called like black not Vajra Yogini. And she's got like a pig head. Okay. And she's, she's pretty metal. She's kind of spooky. Um, and you imagine that you become her. And you imagine that you have the same kind of knife that they use when they're preparing the bodies for the sky burials. And then this is when you imagine that you cut up and prepare your own body for one of these offering feasts that I talked about mm. that are a very common thing in Buddhism, like the offering feast. But what if you were offering your own body as the meat? And who are you inviting? Well, you're going to invite the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas and all of your lamas and teachers and all of that. And you get your body and you cook it and you put it in this giant skull cup and often you'll see llamas have an actual skull cup that is, yes, from a human skull. What, how was uh, it? That, was I hope, hopefully ethically sourced? Yeah, like in Tibet, they usually come from the tribal grounds. Uh, if you see them okay. in the United States, uh, especially in museums, they were probably stolen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's yeah. like a weird black market cottage industry. I believe um, I. You can buy fake ones, yeah. obviously. I mean, like, that yeah. Are made out of resin, I feel like just but, so, yeah, there's so much like. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, we don't need to get into, um, mm -hmm. like, human remains and how complicated yeah. that is. But, yeah, hopefully, um, yeah. if you are, I guess if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, man, I want a human skull cup. Don't. Don't. Yeah, don't. Is the answer to that. Paper mache. Yeah. Like, <laughs> llamas will usually have a skull cup sometimes. Like, I think my llamas is real. Um, and I think she got it in, in Nepal. Um, when she lived there for a bit, um, ethically, because she yeah. cares about that kind of thing. Yeah, anything yeah, that yeah. she brings back for students is also all ethically sourced and everything. Um, and uh, but you imagine that you put your body in like all the, your remains into a skull cup, and you cook it, and you know you cook it, and it becomes like nectar, white nectar. This is the white feast, and so mm. all the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas, and everything eat the nectar that your body has turned into all of the best parts of your body of your meat and everything, all the good bits turn into this nectar that all of your teachers and the Buddhas and everything they eat and they all attain enlightenment with you as part of it. Right. Mm. But then there's also the red feast where you get, and, and, in, and if you're in the United States, you buy these and they are plastic resin. Um, mine is from, Nepal. Um, and I don't actually know if it's uh resin or not. Oop. Um Oop. I, I don't I don't actually know because it was one that my llama uh like brought back, but I, I didn't catch. But um but uh you get a human thigh bone trumpet. And it looks like this. Okay. And you use the trumpet and you play it, and that is how you summon your demons to the feast 
And Magic Lobtron would consider these demons to be mental. Like these are the demons of ego attachment. Mm, these are, okay. you know, mental blockages. These are things that are keeping you from enlightenment. But also the, often people who practice this practice were sometimes like in more literal senses and the culture were sometimes used as like exorcists, right? Mm -hmm. Of you get the demons of a place or maybe the demons in a person, right? They might be more literal demons. This is why you practice it in like spooky charnel grounds and shit, right? Um, <laughs> and um, uh, you summon your demons to the feast and they get like the like fucked up remains of your body, like the parts that, that like the awful and the things that people don't want to eat. And you turn that into whatever it is that the demons actually want. Is like it a demon, kind offering too? It is. Okay. It is. You offer your demons compassion. Okay. You offer them what it is that they actually want. What is it that is like, they might, they might say that they want one thing, but like what's actually at the root of what they want? Because mm. they are suffering too. Okay. And so you give it, you turn, you offer your body to your demons um, and it turns into whatever it is that they want, and then they eat it. And then a Vajra or a lightning bolt or a thunderbolt comes down and zaps them, and um, <laughs> they attain enlightenment through wrathful compassion, like a mom pulling her kid out of traffic. That kind of <laughs> wrathful love. Oh, yeah. That's wrathful compassion. It's like, don't you ever fucking do that again? Like that, like when you need to actually discipline someone. Uh -huh. um, but like, you're not hurting them, but it's fierce, right? Okay. Um, but you offer your demons compassion. And at the end of the practice, when all of your demons have eaten too, um, and your body is completely gone and you are still in Tromanogmo or Rachel Lovetron or whatever, like you then teach the Dharma to them and you bring everyone into enlightenment with you. Whoa. Yeah. Like you enlighten like you as well as your demons and all your teachers go you attain you you realize that you've always already been enlightened together and like you end like by coming out of that state um and you sing this practice mm -hmm. you sing it it takes about 40 minutes depending on what you do so you've got like the human thigh bone trumpet mm -hmm. which i'm not going to play in this one i've not been able to get sound out of anyway um there's also a drum that you play the whole time in your right hand it's like got little dongers on it dongers. on either side and it's supposed to be like it's just like listen to the sound of it right and like one side is like emptiness and one side is like the other thing everything means something okay right? then you also my bell actually the little donger in the bell uh is like the string broke um so my bell doesn't work right now but you get it in your other hand you have a bell and you hold it and you are playing the bell and the drum at the same time. Okay. And also you're singing. <laughs> Damn, that's a lot of stuff to do and to also be like in it. I learned this at a week-long retreat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then you also will sometimes like hold a Vajra. Um, okay. Like in your hand like this. Like that's what this, like you always hold everything like like the rock on symbol yeah 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 because like <laughs> um, it's super metal yeah it is super metal i mean it is um it's pretty fucking goth like yeah. i talked about this in 
uh, when I was on Horror Vanguard the first time for The Empty Man. Yeah. I actually talked about this practice because they reference, they like kind of reference it a bit. They even have a guy like blowing into a flute. At one oh, point. cool. I was like, oh, he's summoning the demons. Yeah. Because they're like in fucking Bhutan. I'm like, I know what that means. <laughs> um, so it's like you're doing this and it's sort of like, I think why it interests me so much, and I know we've reached an hour and we haven't really talked about cannibalism yet. Um, I, we, well, I mean, we have. We have. But like this idea of cannibalism as like a willing offering and sacrifice mm-hmm. as an act of compassion. Yeah. And what it means to like view that practice. Like, like what if we viewed like, is it cannibalism if you're feeding it like Buddhas and Bodhisattvas or whatever? Like, maybe not technically. I don't, but I don't care about technicalities. But, yeah, like, whatever. You're also using as part of it, literally, materially, traditionally you're using human remains as part of it as well like mm-hmm. you're not eating human remains obviously but like you're using human remains in this practice right as well it's like a and, an act of sort of like taking what's what's there and recycling and it turning it into another thing and another thing and another thing yeah Right. And as like, like I said, like everything is sort of like Vajrayana is like the Catholicism of Buddhism in that like everything is like very symbolic. It's very Mm -hmm. semiotic. Like there's a lot of like bells and whistles and there's singing and there's dancing and there's chanting and like there's a bunch of like, um, like, like, um, like that, um, there's like tankas, right? The like, Mm -hmm. um, painted. uh, I do know a tiny bit about tankas, but that. Because of that, well, like one artist. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, yeah, just um, I, I, <laughs> this is so weird, but I had to make a tanka once oh, cool. as part of a um project in grad school, and uh, it was interesting, just like you know, figuring out what all of the symbols meant, and um, the paintings are just so beautiful and rich and full, and um, yeah, I mean. I think like, yeah, I mean, honestly, if you're a curious person and you grew up in any religious tradition, um, I feel like as someone who grew up with like a certain amount of Catholicism and um, looked at a lot of symbols of Catholicism, like you're going to be interested in what other faiths use as their symbols. And so many of them are very are very similar or find connections to each other in some way and i mean a lot of that is like the syncretic part which i think is really cool um yeah yeah like this this practice has a lot of its traditions in the more indigenous traditions of tibet it's called Mm -hmm. like bun bun it's b-o-n sometimes with like a umlaut Mm -hmm. over the o um and it's like a more shamanic thing there but it also has like some roots and like practices from india um so it's like a lot of these things like come together where it's like these cultural practices that are like okay how do we cut through ego attachment what if we took that literally yeah right? and okay we do these offering feasts what if like the role of the body in buddhism what if we offered our own bodies because we're not attached to them they don't mean anything that's there's no there's no self in there so why don't we just do that and then like that sort of um sort of like role of 
the body both as the person who is offering their body and like the mental shift of doing that as well as like the material reality of how you're supposed to do this practice and the role of the body in that yeah yeah i mean it's really beautiful um as i as you were talking about it i was thinking about trying to visualize this happening you know and i'm sure it's hard yeah but i'm sure there are a lot of um films and books and media that like reference this kind of tradition like in horror and things like that because it's it's such a beautiful rich um metaphor yeah and like i remember like when i went to the like my llama had like a retreat and we went to this like um this like zen place out in california where they had like places that you could like run out for the retreats and we were there and for like a week um where we like got the official like transmission from her to practice it like because it connects you to a lineage so that you have the support of all of the people in your lineage before you who have practiced this okay you have their support and their safety and protection while you do it yeah kind of is like the idea um like you're connected through like through time to to this practice right um and like part of it was like we had to sort of so there's a um a western lama lama sutram alion um and she is supposed to be i think like one of the rebirths of mechik laptron i'm i'm not sure um but she often popularizes this practice as well as offers a more secularized version of it called feeding your demons okay as a more psychological like almost therapeutic thing and part of that is invite your demon okay what does your demon look like draw a picture of them you know what's their name what do they smell like what color are they you know that kind of thing yeah all right now what is it what is it that they want no no not 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 what's the what's the secret third thing that they want right like what (laughs) is it that they actually want and like you'll see this like um i mean that's family systems therapy in a lot of ways like uh, that's the therapy Mm -hmm. that i have practiced well not i practice i am in there in therapy um doing family systems um which involves a lot of visualization of like various things within you and like depending on how you would like to um visualize them like sometimes they could be like little creatures that like live in you and where are they and like what are they doing and how are they like some of them protect other ones and um like you have to look extra hard to find another one and it's pretty interesting I really like yeah. it. Yeah, like there's actually a lot of um, Buddhist, spe- specifically the more like Tibetan quote, 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 tradition mm-hmm. of Buddhism that shows up in Western psychological practices Yeah, um, in the 20th century. Um, specifically a lot in like DBT, I think, has a lot of um, Buddhist influence in it. I yeah. Because um, uh, I, I did like group DBT for like a, like a, a little bit in college um and i remember them like talking about like imagine clouds floating by and not attaching to them and i'm like that's that's buddhism yeah that's, yeah yeah. i mean i didn't know that but now i'm like hey wait a minute hey hey know what that means yeah um so like yeah like this way of like this can be a kind of therapeutic practice 
and that is very metaphorical. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like that was like part of this retreat was we took a long time just like going through that exercise of like, let's actually, what what's your demon look like? What's his name? You yeah. know, like um, obviously like each time it's going to be a different demon right sure and sometimes it could be like oh like sometimes you'll see chudpas like doing this like at funerals over mm. a person's body or sometimes you'll see people using this like as like a healing practice like over someone who is sick or something like um you know if there's something wrong with the land like there's like a lot of reasons you might do the chi um and like like Sometimes, like, the people who do this are, like, these, you know, the people who practice the ch are the people who go where everyone else can't. You know, they're the ones who are crazy and go in the charnel grounds and can practice there and not be Mm -hmm. afraid, right? They're the ones who offer up their own bodies when other people don't. Not not as a moral judgment, but, like, they're the crazy ones, right? Um, Well, brave. um, I don't know. (laughs) it's both right like they're meant sort of it's meant to like because it's meant to sort of be like we're going to the places that scare us um and we're going to use that fear and that transgression as a tool um and not let it like you know and not as a judgment like if because not everyone can practice this not everyone you know mentally it's like very taxing especially yeah. you do it over and over and over again for a week and especially with like people who are taking it more as a healing practice for themselves like lots of emotions come out and mm-hmm. it can get really intense right um uh especially like you're singing and like there's like this like repetitive drumming and bell and it's like you know there's a reason why you do like like these states of like religious you know mystic moments that people have like i and not to explain like oh all of these moments are just because like that's what happens to your nervous system when like you're singing and chanting mm-hmm. and shit. like um because again i don't want to do that but like you when you get into these states that it's often helped by doing this sort of like repetitive chanting or singing yeah. or playing especially like in like, congregation with other people i think yeah like makes that kind of happen faster too yeah, so if you're doing, because normally this is a practice done, like, by yourself. Right. You know? But if you are doing it with other people, what does that, like, group cannibalism look like? Because each person is offering up their own body. It's a party. Um, so it looks like, like a party. It's a party. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. And, like, sometimes it's like, oh, your skin becomes big enough to cover mount maru and symbolizes whatever so it's like then all the parts of your body having mm-hmm. meaning yeah as like well protective qualities yeah and so like i i find that really interesting like the the little article that i found uh and had us both read mm-hmm. there's just a very basic here's where this practice comes from here's what happens in it the yeah. end um it it talked about like the role of the body mm-hmm in this and how that comes from more shamanic tradition but how this is like kind of to the letter talking about what the prajnaparamita sutra the perfection of wisdom sutra that is talks about the emptiness of self right um like talks about um like that's what this means let's let go of ego attachment what if we take that literally my dudes um (laughs) so like and i think this 
practice like like if I imagine people eating my body mm. like if I imagine that I offer my body to people to eat like not just uh, I visualize myself as dead or not in my body anymore but like specifically that I offer up my body to be eaten and that I have to also visualize what my body turns into I have to yeah. visualize it turning into nectar I have to visualize it turning into any gross disgusting thing a demon wants right like I have to <laughs> visualize that in my mind happening while I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Like, what is that? You know, I, I don't know. It's an interesting thing to, to happen. Um, when you're, when you're going through it, like visualizing that your body like helps like purify people's karma and like helps bring people into enlightenment with you. Cause like, that's also like in Tibet, and in the Himalayas, like in the Himalayan region of Buddhist practitioners, right? They eat meat because vegetables are hard. And so they often are visualizing that like they're taking on the karma of the animal that they're eating mm -hmm. so that they bring that animal into enlightenment with them once, mm -hmm. once they attain enlightenment, right? So there's like a lot of this like... I I have taken... I, I personally have taken the Bodhisattva vow, meaning I vow to hold off like i will not attain enlightenment until every single other sentient being has attained enlightenment and i vow to help them get there um and so like visualizing that you know it's like the literal version of this is the sky burial where your body provides sustenance to these sentient yeah, for beings the, yeah for the yeah. vultures who are yeah. like really truly amazing i'm like it sounds like i'm kidding but i'm not like they are truly amazing animals um and uh vultures are like a such a huge part of um the like ecological cycle without vultures yeah. a lot of things fall apart actually yeah yeah <laughs> and it's like viewing like our you know our bodies that have no self in them after we die like how does do we just put it in the ground do we burn it or does it the circle of life bullshit like how do yeah, we like yeah, yeah. how can your body further be an offering like I, I you know how can your body be an act of compassion yeah i like to joke that i would like to um i want one of those like like to be mushroom logged or whatever there are these like things <laughs> that they put you in and like turn you into a mushroom or like mushrooms can grow off of you and then I want all of my like lovers and friends to like make a delicious like pasta with mushrooms and eat oh, and eat meat. I eat a cake mushroom. Yeah. I think that would be really nice. Yeah. I mean it just feels like a nice I don't there's something really um kind of sickening about like putting a body in the ground in a like case that is designed to like not let other things get through it and you're like filled with chemicals and wearing makeup i don't know there's something about that that's pretty repulsive <laughs> to me i mean you know i understand like that's another religious tradition but to me it feels well, more it strange. was yeah, I mean, embalming is just because of the Civil War. Yeah, 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 true. Yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, they embalmed my mom just to cremate her. I was like... What? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, I got to, like, you know, see her before they cremated her, but she was already, like, embalmed and everything, like, when yeah. I got to see her. And I was like, 
like it was so weird right yeah I was like, and sort like, of like, yeah that's not my mom like <laughs> yeah like the um sort of like insistence that people see their loved one like after they've died but like yeah in a state where they kind of look like they're asleep you know and it's like I guess that's like, I could tell that her lips were like glued or so. Yeah, like it's like, I could tell, like, but it's not. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't go see my grandfather. Um, there was a like open casket, and I was like the only person who wouldn't go. And I like, I just didn't yeah. want to do. I was like, I just don't want to do it. I'm just not yeah. interested in seeing that. Yeah, like I didn't make it in time when my mom died. Like my my mom died of cancer, and um, it was like hey maybe you should get out here by the end of the month and see your mom oh maybe yeah. you should get out here like by the end of this week um oh she's not gonna make it through tomorrow oh, to i yeah. uh, she died while i was like on the plane oh. so i like wasn't there when she died and yeah. so like when they did just the viewing just like she didn't have like a public funeral viewing mm -hmm. it was just like me and my uncle and my aunt and like um her like uh ex stepfather and his other wife because mm -hmm. my mom's parents were already dead um and it was like they all went in together and got to see her okay. and i was like i don't want to go in with y'all yeah i want to go in by myself um i don't want y'all around for whatever reaction i might have right and yeah. like like it was like weird because they they were offended that i didn't want to do that with them right that i wanted to like be able to have my own reaction to it um and like not be touched and not be comforted because it's like i i'm an only child so it's like yeah. uh, that that's like i was my mom's only kid like yeah you know, like it's like and i you, i was the kid you know <laughs> of all things like you deserve your own yeah you deserve to like have your own response to like someone else's death you know i think that's like really important that like so much of like what we do in death rituals here is like the managing of other people's feelings about death. Mm -hmm. Um my my brother-in-law just passed away and um we actually didn't really have a relationship um and we're going down to visit my mom um and like the rest of the family and like we're there for the kids but like I didn't want to be there for the funeral because of how I knew the ritual would be um and i just knew that that was something that i like didn't really want to be a part of in this in this case you know yeah and it's like it's so it's so much that we have so many like rules over people's emotional management <laughs> you know like in our society that like you go to the funeral and you do the thing for not even for the person who's like most affected. It's like for the family's face, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like what, what, like what happens when we think of like, and obviously different religious traditions are going to have like different things. So this is not me being like, you're wrong if you don't think this way, <laughs> but like as an, as an exercise, like what happens when we look at bodies as meat and once people die and that's not that person anymore yeah. you know like all that you still have all of your memories and stuff with them and whatever corpse you're looking at like that's that's not 
what you have those memories with. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have memories. I mean, you might have memories with partly with the body, right? With the body. Um, yeah, I think so. But it's like what that person was doing with the body. And so it's like, I think like we have this hard time cutting through like the idea that like a person was in there and now they're not. And so that abjection. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, I feel like, you know, this practice of like visualizing, like offering yourself to a cannibalistic feast, Mm -hmm. um, like helps you really break down. Like, what does it mean to be a corpse, you know? And what, like what what good like what not what good is it to be a corpse but like you know <laughs> what good are you you stupid corpse? Like, what fucking good are you, you <laughs> corpse but it's like you know like i i love cooking and i love cooking for other people like when i have been in relationships i love cooking for my partner mm-hmm. like and i love like serve like this is like the sub in me coming out like i love serving them that way like i love like cooking for them and like bringing the food out and like seeing their reaction to eating it right like i i learned how to cook meat for my ex for Mm -hmm. his birthday and our anniversary um like and i couldn't taste it but like i had to i learned to make chicken milanesa right uh because he was argentinian and um like that was the thing i learned to do because like that act of like caring for someone and giving them food Mm -hmm. is really important to me and like and like culturally like the act of like eating together or like cooking for other people right and sort of like giving that sustenance like that's that i would argue that's like a really big thing in quote western culture or any i think any any culture yeah yeah, like food is one of the most important things that we all share Right. And not to actually be like, why don't we do cannibalism? But like, (laughs) if you imagine like, you know, if you sort of start cutting through the attachment to the body. With a real sharp knife. With a real sharp knife (laughs) and you cut the marrow open, you know, the bones open, you get the marrow and everything. Stir it in a big pot made out of a skull because we're goth as fuck, right? I really want to see like a Buddhist death metal band like doing the chud on stage. Yeah, like I'm really – Who wants to form that with me? This is all I can think of I'm into death metal now, so. I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, This is all I can think of now is like are there – bands that do things like this or like um how many movies have 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 this ritual been the empty man okay yeah we've got the empty man we've got it yeah i don't know if the empty man on purpose is doing it but the opening is in bhutan and it has a spooky bone flute and um there's a demon that gets summoned um yeah buddhist death metal band called oh it's there's a buddhist death metal band called dharma nice. um i'll ask they're from um, they're from taiwan i'll ask adam yeah death metal expert um in the house yeah or like buddhist black metal that's what i'm in now into now buddhist black, black metal. metal yes that's what i, I don't, meant too death metal's the low growly one black metal's the high shrieky one yeah. i like the sh- high shrieky one i like the low growly this is like a yeah. thuddy, are you thuddy versus stingy? Yeah. I like a slow, uh, like electric wizard kind of situation. That's my deal with, with metal. Yeah. I want it to be like a Italian vampire porn ritual. 
<laughs> but yeah, so um but we'll yeah. Yeah, so that was me we'll talking at up. you. What what do, what else do you have to say? About... I I think I'm I mean, I feel like I'm I'm full. <laughs> yeah, you you I've ate eaten my I ate yeah, you shared your um your skull cup of wisdom of marrow. I sucked your marrow dry. Hell yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I have so many things to think about now. But like, I think it's a really, it's, I mean, absolutely beautiful. Like something that it's like, you know, I don't like to do that whole thing where you're like, and we can take this and bring it into our lives. Like in a stupid, <laughs> like, I'm writing for Glamour magazine. Like, here's some, uh, you know, like mindfulness exercises. But in a true way, I do think that, like, you can think about those things as tools for liberation. And, um, you know, if, if you are willing to share your bones and blood and body with, uh, like your people or people in general like I think you are committed to um, well at least your faith but you could also be co committed to like liberation and revolution if that's something that you're interested in and like something that we should be thinking about right now obviously because there are a lot of people who are showing their whole asses right now <laughs> in terms of um liberation and uh decolonization being a um mind exercise and not a real life principle i also think that this <laughs> practice can help show us that um violence can be a part of liberation and yes. like uh is a tool and um there is violence what like what is violence and what role does violence play in our lives? And like, when, like, when can we take what is violent and make it liberatory? Yeah. I also think that there's um, a frequently lobbed. Um... I found an article on Buddhist metal. <laughs> the way I just shared it in the chat. Nice. Um, yeah. Something that is frequently lobbed at leftists from libs is that, um, you know, certain Eastern religious practices practice nonviolence, and we should look at things like that. Um, and that is incredibly fucked up. And um, you're being a colonizer, and you're misunderstanding a lot of uh, practices that you don't understand. And um, yeah, just like being a total shithead and stop doing that. <laughs> You know, like that is not true. Those things are not true. The thing that you learned uh when you on Wikipedia about Gandhi is not true. <laughs> and <it's> like <laughs> if all you learned about uh I guess Buddhism was that like some practitioners won't even kill a fly and you're gonna use that as a way for people to not have gain any sort of liberation, then that is fucked up. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I was thinking, just thinking as you were talking about like sharing your whole body with um, people and bringing everyone into enlightenment with you and how 
Um, yeah, I want to, I'm interested in looking into more, actually I have a book about Buddhism and liberation, liberation, liberation Liberation. theology. Ooh, Um, what is it? I cannot remember. Um, but I also found a Buddhist, uh, atmospheric black metal band called Sadaka. Let's hope they're not weird Nazis somehow. Yeah, you gotta do a lot of research. (laughs) Um, well, I'll find it. We will put it in, we'll put it on the, on all of our stuff. Um, but there is some like interesting liberation theology, um, with Buddhism that, um, I don't know much about, but, um, I think we could actually talk to my friend Raf about, cause I bet he knows <gasps> a bunch about it. We should yeah. um, have your friend on. That would be cool. That would be rad. Let's do it. Woo. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that's it. Go feed your demons yeah. instead of talking about the, the one complicated political thing neither of us are prepared for. Let's do the other thing and say support for uh, Palestine, yeah, Palestinian be, liberation. Be the, <laughs> that one I feel more comfortable Palestina. saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it should be clear by now that yeah, yeah, we recognize the Palestinians' um, fight for freedom. Yep, and and wholeheartedly support. No caveats. No, no caveats there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you for letting me talk at you for an hour and a half. Yeah, Um, we need to do an episode where you get to talk at me for an hour. Okay, I'm gonna think about what I'm gonna talk about. Probably going to be. Some you should do the. Artsy, you should be the, the Julia Kristeva essay or something because oh, I've never yeah. read it. Yeah, yeah. Powers I've literally of never read it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've never we'll do read Powers it, of Horror. So. Okay, cool. Yeah, and like that's me outing myself. I've never read that. Oops. Nah. I'm, I'm a bad horror. Person. Yeah, really. <laughs> I found the band camp of that atmospheric Buddhist. Okay, band. put it on the. I was going to say like put it on the chat. I'm like that's not right. Put it on the Twitter or whatever. Yeah, I just I hope they're I hope they're good. Um, it'd be weird to have Buddhist Nazis, but you know what? You never know. Yeah, really. I mean, <laughs> we have a lot of other things. <laughs> there, Why there not? are weird. There are weirder things that have happened. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. Um, I'll put some like spooky chanting at yeah. the end or something. Eat me. Cool. <laughs> eat me may may you all reach enlightenment within three lifetimes Woo! Cool. sweet i don't i can't actually do that yeah <laughs> <laughs> Long <laughs> <laughs>